Hi, and welcome to a mailbag episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. I'm Adam, and with me are James and Brad, and uh, we are going to sit down and answer 20 questions uh, that you, the listeners, have sent in. Um, we do have, in all transparency, we do have the Patreon questions first. Um, the patrons are guaranteed to have their questions answered first, so uh, if you would like to make sure that your questions are answered you can check the show notes uh, to see the link to our Patreon, um, or you can just try to be faster than everybody else to get your questions in. So, um, Anyway, how we're going to do this is we're going to uh, roll initiative here at the beginning to see who's going to ask questions in which order, uh, but we're all going to pipe in with our answers for it. It should be fucking ridiculous. They always are. Um, I'm not sure how many of these are Dungeons & Dragons related at this point. A lot of them are... I think some of them are definitely... But I'm expecting some nonsense. I'm coming into this intentionally cold. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's grab dice and see. All right. Into the dice tower. Into the mimic. Well, wow. James, James is going first with a nine. And You're going second with a four because I got a two. I was at a two, but you bumped me. Okay, so James, you want to take us away with question number one? Okay, from Makuza DM. Uh, well, since this has come up in my table, how superstitious are you about math rocks? Example, can no one touch your dice lest they give them bad juju? Do you give them out willy-nilly, maybe forgetting to bring them or use and use a pool of your DM provides? Do you never mix two sets of dice after one die has failed? Are you okay with digital dice or even even in a physical game? He does say because random is random, and I'm like, there's no such fucking thing as random, especially in a computer especially program. Especially a computer program. I would dice more than I would doubt a computer program. Yeah. Though computer programs aren't random, they are random. dice are made worse yes. than that program is programmed. I'd agree with that. It depends on the dice. I figure if you get some of them, especially the metal ones, they're probably machine graded. Yeah. But the ones that are poured by hand off of an Etsy store... You know they're they're lopsided. Most chessex and most metal I have have been terribly balanced. Really, absolutely I, terrible. About oh three or four years ago now, I did the salt and water test. I've done the salt and water test, and most of them were okay. I yeah. got I got pretty decent rolls on them, uh, or uh, like consistency yeah. on them. But uh, as far as superstition goes, James, who answers first? You get to throw someone under a bus. Oh, uh, Brad, what do you? All think? right, I am so far from superstitious about my dice. That said, if I've got a die, I will have multiple sets of dice in front of me at all times. I am the guy who's got, like, six different colors of dice. Yeah. And I tend to build my dice more around the color based on the character. Yeah. And then if one die is really performing poorly, I might just grab a different one out of just... I'm not feeling it, but as far as superstition goes, it'll come out the next session even if it was bad the day before. Honestly, for me, I do the same thing. I choose my dice based on... Um, honestly, I... I Choose how evil I want to be. Mm. And the literal darker the dice are, if I've got, like, black and gray speckled evil, like, I will, if they look like evil dice, yeah, and I'm trying to murder some someone tonight, I'll use those. Then I've got the ones that look like cotton candy, and that's like, oh, we're going to the Feywilds, it's going to be nonsense role-playing this session. So it's that. And right. so that's how I yep. do it. But when it comes to, like, oh, it's ro rolling poorly, if I roll in front of my players. Yeah, me so, too. Um, but as soon as they have seen the roll, I scoop up the dice and toss them behind the DM screen. So whichever ones are closest, it makes no difference. I roll so many times in the span of a night. Yeah. So DMing, I don't care. I'd probably care more if I was, if I was a player. You have more downtime to sit there and like judge your dice. 
Yeah, as a player, you definitely would have more... I find when I'm playing, I'm more picky about my dice because I'm sitting there waiting for an hour for everybody else's turns. Yeah, I'm quite superstitious about my dice. That's why I have eight sets on me at least at all times. <laughs> it gets two bad rolls and then it's yeah. relegated to the bottom of the list. Yeah. Do it's you have the dice jail? No, it's not. doesn't need to go to the dice jail. It hasn't misperformed yet. It's just having a bad day. But if it has multiple sessions in a row, I've thrown dice away. Hmm. See that little cave thing at the yeah. on the shelf there? If you pick it up, James, there's a button on it. That is the dice jail that I got for Christmas. There's a button somewhere. Yeah, there you go. It actually glows. It looks that beautiful. is actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's an actual like D and D sponsored freaking. I know oh, some nice. people who would really enjoy that. Yeah, myself, I don't bother. Well, honestly, I pulled it out as a as a gimmick and a gag yeah. to smile, yeah. but but I'm actually eager to use that as a as a set piece in the like. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, next one, uh, Makusa underscore DM again. We're, we're the we only have so many questions from yep. like there's so many patrons asking. So, um, ask what's the coolest thing your character's ever gotten to do in a game? Uh, James. Oh, we a group of clerics. We made a joke campaign. It was supposed to be a one-off. We called the Amen off the yeah. joke we've all seen online. Yeah. Well, it turned into a full campaign, and our DM decided to be an antagonistic DM, so we were fighting 40, Warhammer 40k orcs. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we decided as a group to mount cannons to carriages and make our own tanks. Perfect. <laughs> we spent about uh, three sessions doing the math on what our tanks could achieve. <laughs> it was disgusting what we were able to get out of them. They're two kinds of players. I yeah, they really are. <laughs> That is absolutely the kind of shit that I would have done in my early days, like, yeah. God, 20 years ago in d and I totally would have set that. You also need the DM who will go along with that, yeah. but it's, it's, cool. It. it's cool when it works. It's <laughs> cool when it works. started it and we just retaliated, and we no. retaliated worse and worse and worse. That's great. When everybody's on board. At level, we went through the final battle, we opened the ground, killing about 10,000. Oh, excellent. Mid-level creatures all at once. Yep. The battle ended, meaning we get our EXP. So mm-hmm. from level 16 to level 20, we used our wish to get back all our spells and abilities to fight the final <laughs> boss. Like, if you're going to mess with us, yeah. all experienced players, we will break your game. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. What's the... A- um, coolest thing I did was actually probably in a one-shot. It was uh, doing one with Dan. He just wanted to run a one-shot. Actually, it was for your campaign builder. He wanted to test some stuff that he built for the oh, campaign yeah. builder episodes. So I built a wild magic sorcerer, because... That's yeah, the time to play yeah. it as in a one-shot. Sure, absolutely. Anyways, I was trying to traverse. We were basically in this anti-gravity chamber, a bunch of stuff swirling around the center, and I had to try and get to a platform in the center room. So I basically created a, my own grappling hook from tools I had and threw it. I remember him talking about this. Yeah. yeah. So I had to roll with disadvantage, and I rolled two nat 20s. The one in a 400 nice. chance with disadvantage, I managed to get crit. That was probably the coolest moment I've ever had as nice. a player. I don't know what cool mo- I think the coolest thing I ever did was a player was Terry was DMing Curse of Strahd and he allowed me to use create water in someone's lungs. Lungs were an open container. He allowed me to do that and so I drowned a man in his own store. Yeah, it's an open container. But I immediately then was playing a lawful good cleric and went, oh god, oh no, and then healed him back up. So I, I just fucking traumatized. <laughs> yeah, that's almost worse. Yeah, that's <laughs> called waterboarding. The yeah, American military. Are proficient. <laughs> Maybe that's why Terry let me do it because he you, was in the military. You, you didn't want to mention the time where you TPK'd half of a party as a player. Was that not the coolest thing you ever did? That was pretty cool, but honestly, that was really up to 
I, I had that those shenanigans planned out way in advance, and then yeah. Dan just let it happen. Yeah. Um. I I really felt that honestly, the dominoes were set up, and all I had to do was just say, "All right, on my turn, I do this. Yeah. On my next turn, I do this. On my next turn, I do this." And then I just went through it. It was pretty cool though, watching the horror on everyone's face. I specifically remember Nick being mad as fuck. It's so mad. Not the Nick that was on the podcast. No, different, different Nick. Nick. But but he was so fucking mad at me. Yeah. And he didn't even have a character die, I don't think. No, he, he survived. Was, He's one yeah. of the few who got away. Yeah, Tyler was clapping. He was laughing. I was too. Tyler yeah. and I were the two who were probably most brutally killed, and we had the best time with it. Yeah, so it all depends on the player, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's pull up question number three here. So, from a new question asker, we have from Orion. Basic basic skill check question. Should I roll an intelligence or wisdom check? I studied U.S. constitutional law in law school. I'm a brown American and have been arrested several times. I don't trust police, and I revel in my skill to be able to spot and evade undercover police cars. Stalking traffic, looking for violators. So, are my skill checks based on intelligence, emotional and background, or my wisdom, learned, experience, Natural perceptiveness. Wisdom hands. I was going to say, I'm going to throw this to you, James, because I know that you're going to have some thoughts on this. As someone who is a colored person, it is your wisdom. It's not your intelligence that pulls out the cops. Yes, your intelligence is vastly useful in pulling It's your situational awareness. It's your situational awareness. Knowing that car's not driving like the crowd. Yeah. Or that person at the rave you're at isn't acting like a raver. They're yeah. probably an that undercover cop. That guy did up his cop. top button, the motherfucker. Right? <laughs> the number of times I've been asked for drugs by co- undercover cops at Calgary festivals, same guy every time. Piercing blue eyes, six foot two brown guy. Like, you're the most obvious <laughs> undercover I've ever experienced, sir. Yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement. It's got to be perception. Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, what you're really talking about here is a perception check. Now, you're, the ability to know what to do and how to treat the situation, yeah, I would respond. argue that's your intelligence, right? How you respond, that will be your intelligence. But your first perception and understanding of the situation and recognizing that it could be trouble, yeah. I'm going to put that on perception. I'm, I'm going to take a moment and because the question was, is it intelligence because of education and yeah. background? And I don't think education plays as big a role. No, because I'm not Harvard educated or whoever it was. And um, you, you just pretend to be. I just pretend <laughs> yeah. That's all that matters. <laughs> just, that's just what it does. That's charisma. Things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, when it comes to background, I don't, I think that's wisdom still. It's not yeah. intelligence. Intelligence is memory, yeah. but everybody who has any sort of experience doing anything will learn from it. And when do you apply it? I think in this scenario, background means background knowledge. The knowledge that every little brown kid or every little black kid gets from their parents. Sure. That don't trust the police necessarily. Yes, they're safe for you, but... Be cautious. Be cautious around those you're with. This is how to act. Yes. Yeah. It's not yeah. background as in, I'm from Timbuktu. It's, yeah, in, it, it, it's not your noble background. People from is, yeah. my background have to have learned. So back to intelligence and education, but different side to education. I just yeah. think that intelligence is memory and... and what you've read, not necessarily lived experience, right? But maybe something well, you've studied. I, I would say that... that and. And argue with me on this. I, I haven't mm-hmm. thought this all the way through, nope. but but book smarts is intelligence, but street smarts is wisdom. Yeah, no, I, that's always been my and take on it. That's kind of where I'm coming from on this. Applied that... street smarts is wisdom. Sure. Is that so, yeah. like if you are you're say you're a gangbanger as an example, you doing gang life? I do gangbang. That bang. is wisdom. Yeah. But that's you a different kind of gangbang. Taught right. by your older brother how to handle yourself in the gang situation. Still street smarts. Yeah. But you're not self learned. 
That is an intelligence. Sure. Okay. So you're being trained and taught how to do this. That was the same act. Okay. I, I would say that knowing how to respond to a circumstance and because you've learned it, you've studied it, you've mm -hmm. prepared for it, that is your intelligence. But whatever your experience in the moment is, right, your gut reaction, your instinct, Being that's able to wisdom. Respond to it is the wisest Because uh, I would say it's an insight check. Yeah. So that's that's wisdom. That's wisdom as well. Okay. Correct. All right. That's a good fucking question. Yeah. Uh, James, you want to take us on the next one? Another one from Orion. What do you think is the Venn diagram of people who follow Critical Role closely, people who actually play d and I'm not convinced that there's actually much overlap, but I could very well be wrong. All right, Adam. Um, honestly, I everybody that I've ever met that was a Critical Role fan has played Dungeons and Dragons. However, a lot of people that want to play D&D and can't have that as a, like, they can't put it together yeah. for whatever reason, will find podcasts and other things to to keep that going. But it comes from a background of D&D. Like, I'm not yeah. sure there's a whole lot of Critical Role fans that have never picked up dice, right? So they're at least experienced to some degree. Yeah, I would agree with that. Or at some way, they're at least involved in the culture around D&D. Yeah. So even if they've never played it before, they at least have had an interest in it before they got into Critical Role. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there's many people who Critical Role got them into D&D, but I think there are some many people who were into the idea of D&D, found Critical Role, and then that was enough to push them to the point where they wanted to start playing. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, I agree. I feel like, if anything, others came from different tabletop games. Yeah. Whether they be, like, a Warhammer War-type game, mm -hmm. or... Even just regular old yeah, board games. Even board games or Magic. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Especially and Magic with their interconnection. I would say that it's Stranger Things and Community and these other yes. ones that have shown us Dungeons & Dragons in other ways that... That's got people going, oh, okay, I'm aware of it now, and then they got a friend that says, you should check out Critical Role... They'll watch one episode or listen to one episode yeah. and go, I want to try this, then go out and buy dice and now they're playing. Or they'll be like, oh, this is actually what D&D is. Never mind, it's not for me. Yeah, sure. And you know what? They're wrong, but I mean, yeah. let them be wrong. So We don't want them at the table anyways. Let's gatekeep this game. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, gatekeep, so girl boss. <laughs> something else we're supposed to do, I can't remember. Um so, gaslight, that's it. Jesus, James. <laughs> the three G's. <laughs> I like that you couldn't remember gaslight. That's funny on a metal level. Yeah. Uh, superfluous Dearth asks, um, he says, ooh, if you had to be one type of creature type, what would you choose and why? Please don't say humanoid. Uh, Brad, what do you got? I Anybody who knows me, this is going to sound cliche, I would go celestial. I want to have that connection to the deities, to... The heavenly realms. And you, get, and you get the six-pack abs. You get the six-pack abs. You get the glorious wings, usually. Yeah, you get a big You often get a very horn. cool... Yeah, you usually get a cool mount. I mean, so, I've already got the hard horn. That's fine. All, all right. <laughs> Celestial or dragon, I agree on that. Yeah? Yeah. Something with immense amount of power with very few things it has to bow its head to. Yeah. Or uh, just a pure divinity. There you go. Just go right for the top. Uh, if I'm going to be honest... I don't want to say celestial because you guys said it. So the answer is generic fiend. Yeah. My reason say, for that was my, the other end. Yeah. My, my reason for this is not demon or devil. I'm not, I don't have interest in the blood war. I don't want to do that. But I do like rakshasas and night hags and that because they're diabolical. They're mm -hmm. evil. That they're fun. But when they die, they just respawn and come back. Yeah, you get to do and that's all what I'm again. looking for, right? And celestials do that too. Absolutely. So just so we're, all three of us aren't saying the same thing. Some form of immortality. Yeah. Effectively. Oh, although I will say the chances are very good. 
that we are all actually already constructs because we are brains in jars. Oh, perfect. Or technically undead, I guess, by D&D standards. But, <laughs> but like, at some point we'll all have enough pacemakers and, yeah, yeah. and stints and whatnot that we will be constructs. So that's the real answer. Yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah. We'll all just be warforged by the end of it. All right, next question on the list. Again from super, Superfluous Dearth. What's your favorite monster that you have not yet used? Homebrew's acceptable. Uh, James. I don't DM, so all of them. <laughs> you haven't used any of them. Is there any Is there any monster that stands out to you like, hey, that'd be fucking cool to play? Uh, off the top of my head, really, I can't think of any, but there's been many I've encountered that would be... I mean, even like the different types of Beholder. You only yeah. see the Death Tyrant and the main type of Beholder, but there's, especially with Homebrew, yeah. there's terrifying entities... Yeah. Um, I think the one that I'm really, really, really eager to play is the Elder Brain Dragon, whatever that yes, one's called. Yes, the new the, one. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that one looks absolutely fucking terrifying, and I'm looking for an excuse, a story hook to bring that into the game. Yeah, you can't, you don't just drop that out of nowhere. No, no, no. That's, that's one that I'm going to probably try to work pretty hard at, at really working my way into probably... Level 17 play. Oh, uh, yeah. High level play for sure. For me, it's probably going to be a lich. I have yet to actually drop a lich on a table at my players. Because I want to watch them squirm. I have... I currently have three liches walking around in my campaign right now. And the players know they're there. And they're just super not dealing with it because they're level 5. Yeah. Right? But, like, they know that shit's coming. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right, James. Number 7. Tarzan of the Desert asks... As a player, how do you decide your next character? Do you come up with your character concept and find the mechanics to fit the build? Build a character sheet and then backfill the story? Or are you more nonchalant about it? Brad? Uh, for me, I am usually going to take a mechanical concept first. I am a mechanical first. Not in a power gamer way. But I want to know what I'm building, and that helps me fill out the story of who the character is. I would rather come up with, here's kind of what they do, or here's kind of how they exist in a mechanical sense, and then I flavor around that. That's usually the order that I go in. I never get to be a player, but I, but I will say this. <clears throat> I've got two thoughts on this. One, Dave has a really interesting method of doing it because he doesn't care. He's played so many characters in so many campaigns that have done six episodes or six sessions and they're yeah. done, right? So he has done character creation so often at all levels of play that he just really doesn't give a shit anymore. And it's challenging for me as a DM to get him to give a shit. So one of the things that I'm working on with him is having a reason for picking your shit because he literally rolls out of the Xanathar's yeah. stuff when he... All those tables, the random tables to put that together character. And it's been interesting. He's playing a fairy scout right now. Um, and he's like, I can get behind the flying mechanic. I can get behind the roguey shit from a distance. I like, I'm, he's really enjoying that side of it. But we're also now, because he picked a fairy, the fae have to, they have to be a factor here, right? Of course. Yep. But all of the fae are happy-go-lucky. In my world now, they all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And Dave is playing a scout that is a protector of nature. And so there's this this disconnect, right? They're, yeah. they're not the same thing. And that is giving him some meaning to it. So he started off very much with the mechanic only and is learning it as he goes. And that's really interesting to watch because everybody else at my table builds the idea first. 
Uh, my big thing is I want to build a character that I've never seen before. Yeah. When I did the L5R thing with Megan, I played an elderly man because I don't get to see that often. Yeah. Um, my next character, I don't think any of my, I don't think any of them will listen to this. Because I will say this, my next character, I, I he's already built uh, up to level three right now. Um, and he is going to be a six-year-old wild magic sorcerer. Excellent. Who cannot find his parents and latches on to the party because they're, they look like stuffed animals to him and dolls. Because everybody plays anthropomorphs now, right? So yeah. Like, so that's going to be the thing. And he's going to wander around. He doesn't cast spells with a verbal component because he wants to. He cries out, no! And then a, a spell goes off, right? Like, Perfect. So it's very, very wild. I'm waiting to play this character because it's going to be ridiculous. That's awesome. Before you jump in, I just want to say that part of the reason that I build my characters that way is because, like Dave, I have n- I'm currently my first campaign that's ever lasted more than four or five levels. Oh, nice. Right? So I am currently, like, always cursed with the fact that... Stop playing in Dan's campaign. Well, that's part of the problem. Yeah. No one else wants to DM for me. I got to DM all the other ones. Fair enough. Well, I get that. Okay, James, how do you do it? For me, I haven't started a campaign with a party in five or six games I've played. I've always been brought in late. So I'm often filling a role. So I You're build my character yeah, to yeah. fill that role, yeah. and then I create a character's personality behind that later. As an example, I'm playing Tomb of the Mad Mage with Dave's DMing it, and they needed someone who was able to sneak into places and play the roguey role. So right. I built a tabaxi rogue and left it at that. The so, roguey role <laughs> is a great name for a D&D podcast, yeah. by the way. That's... It's the roguey roll. <laughs> and I decided to treat my character as, you know, everyone has the friend with the pet cat that latches onto that one person. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's my character. I've latched onto our barbarian. That is my person. And that's the right person I to latch onto. I care about that person. The others, not so much. If they die, I'll try to help like them. Like a cat. Hold on. Like who's a cat. playing the barbarian? Uh, Anthony. Oh, fuck. That's goddamn. And the best part is, I was brought in to stop Anthony from barging into doors. Well, now I just encourage him. To <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, there's a door over here. You want to kick?" Oh, it? now I want to play. Uh, now I want to play Tabaxi. That's like, uh, what's his name from Red Dwarf? The cat. Oh fuck! What is his name? That's gonna drive me nuts. It's gonna drive me nuts too. But that—that's my next character. I've just designed it right here, right now. So that's how I design a character. <laughs> Mostly off of jokes. God damn, that is frustrating. What's your character's name? My current character's name? Yeah. Thundar. He's a the storm sorcerer. I hate it. Thundar. Yeah, I really hate yeah, it. Right? Yeah. So does Dan, which is actually really the reason that I chose it. <laughs> I make people go after you, like, haunt. Oh, Dan does. Good. Um, so Dave has a thing. Okay, when he did the Call of Cthulhu uh, actual play, uh, he made Gunther the Hunter. Right? Yes. So, yeah, Dave little lot. Yeah, but his, his character's name was Gun for short. Every time that Dan DMs a one-shot or anything, Dave has worked in, 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 he uses different languages so Dan doesn't catch it, his character's name is always Gun. Excellent. Every fucking time. And I caught him doing this, and I said, if you do this in my campaign, I will murder you and you will just have to make a new one. We will run out of words for Gun. <laughs> we will run out of languages before I run out of ways to kill you, so he doesn't do that, but... Oh, see, as a player, I would have taken that as a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah you too would have. <laughs> yeah. um, Tarzan of the Desert. We have a lot from Tarzan of the Desert. He's one of the, the patrons, and, yeah. and he just has so many good questions. So we're going we're gonna to stick with him for a few here. Given the noted accolades the podcast has for Call of Cthulhu, how likely are you to DM or play in an Eldritch Horror campaign reskinned with 5e basic rules? 
Brennan Lee Mulligan and Dimension 20 has done great work in bringing D&D to different settings. Is this or would this be any of or be on any of your radars? James? Yes, because I can fight back. Like that's one of my biggest things with Call of Cthulhu is you sneeze too hard, you're dead. Yeah. And yeah. even when you decide to defend yourself against just a dude, you can't hit him with a gun from six inches away. It stresses me out. I don't like playing it. I like being able to fight back. <laughs> I would play a 5e version, though. Because it's not the Eldritch Horror that bothers me. It's the lack of self-preservation. See, I absolutely fucking love the Call of Duty rule set. For the reason you hate it, yeah, I love it. I know. Yeah, and so I, I do love how dangerous it is. And I will say this. I would be more willing to adapt the Call of Cthulhu rule set, 7th edition rule set to a fantasy or another genre mm. than I would be to use 5th ed rules in another genre. I like 5th ed rules well enough, but they're so broad and generic yeah. that I feel like, you, you, yes, you can do anything and it'll work. Why would you when there are other systems out there? I have been exploring this. I've been exploring Spire recently, which is really cool. That's a like drow only, and you're trapped in a tower. The whole thing is you're in like this infinite tower. Um, I I looked into Mork Borg when Jeff was doing that. A yeah, while Jeff back. was really into that for a bit. Yeah, and there was uh, Call of Cthulhu was big, Legend of the Five Rings, and like there's so many other cool systems out there that I want to dig yeah. into. But I'm telling you, the next thing that I do and. It probably won't be related to the podcast at all. The next thing I do when we're done this current um, Call of Cthulhu campaign is I would like to do a modern day survival horror zombie apocalypse with the Call of Cthulhu rules where you're actually having to to scrounge for materials and you are trying to build your base up and can you trust the other survivors. With those deadly ass rules, I think it would feel like really intense. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm. I know most of the podcasts yeah. would kill each other in the first five. Pretty quick, play, yeah. And it'd be a boring afternoon yeah. for one person. <laughs> yeah, I like the Call of Cthulhu rules for the Call of Cthulhu setting. They are well suited. They fit right dealing with sanity. When I'm playing fifth edition, I don't want that. If I'm playing five e, it's because I want something that's a little more open ended, a little more fun. See, I played with the sanity yeah. score in the last campaign, and yeah. it was rough. Yeah. My, my players were not wild about it when it happened because there are madnesses and yep. shit that you can get out of the books. And they were like, they were gung ho about it at first, and then it just became so fucking crippling. And if right? that's that, what you want, why aren't you just playing in another system? Yeah, which is why right. I, we're not playing it in this campaign, right? Yeah. Like, we saw it through, and then I just kind of tried to stop using it. And yeah. I'd let it slide a lot of time. It's exactly as you said, James, you don't win, yeah. right? When you can lose your sanity and then be relegated to NPC status, that. It's so quick. It's like stat damage, right? Like it's fun when you know you're doing it, and that's why you're doing it. Yeah. But in the fifth edition rule set, it just it doesn't line up for me. All right. Next question. Tarzan of the Desert again. Have you ever had a character at your table, either as a DM or as a player yourself, play as a handicap-capable character? Also, have you ever played with or as the opposite gender at your table, Adam? I have definitely played female characters before. I think that most guys have at least dabbled with it at some point in their career. Just because we can only have strapping muscles or sneaky sneak so often for like we gotta build something where I You wanna to. try something different. Right. And so and it's just I find that the guys that have made more than one character look, I DM. I play mm -hmm. female every single session. Yep, every right? session. So, so um but it is Different, and I stopped. I recently stopped doing it because 
I play with girls at the table. Uh, half of my party is girls, right? And I'm like, am I doing this justice or am I playing a stereotype? Is this is this okay? And and the answer is no. When it comes to handy capable characters, uh, no, don't. Right? Like, there's nothing wrong with it. And yeah. I'm a big supporter of um, uh, what Dulos 12 is doing. You can go check out our subreddit for it because he's got the whole... Um, uh, I, I should look up the name. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, please do. Uh, he's got a, or he's finished a Kickstarter now. He's, he made a book based entirely around um, players with disabilities, characters with disabilities, and how to include that in D&D. And so he wrote this book very highly. Very regarded. good book. Yeah, it's very, very solid. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of it. But I have, we shot Megan's leg off and she attached a, a, prosthetic. a prosthetic to it. Dan was a gnome tinkerer and so he made that for her. And like that was fine. We d- it it came up very 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 rarely. No. Um, I have played pirate NPCs that have the hook hand, right? But like, there that's a stereotype. That's a yeah. that's a trope. It's not a yeah. You're you're not playing off of the ability or disability. You're just it's a it's, it's just a flavor it, thing. It, yeah, it's a flavor thing. I would absolutely never glorify that in any way or use it as a crutch on anything. Pardon the pun. Uh, unintentional but, but, pun. Yeah. But, like, it's... I wouldn't be a normally abled person playing an autistic character and feel good about that. Yeah, yeah. it's treading dangerous waters. And I'm all for playing, like... If if you are in a wheelchair and you want to be a hero in a wheelchair, absolutely go nuts. Alanik Ray is uh, mm-hmm. the smartest detective in all of um, in all of the Shadowfell, and we get his character, and he's in a wheelchair. He's an elf in a wheelchair. And he's a great player, and I actually have have him in my game as an NPC um, because I'm all about like exposing this kind of, of thing in D and D, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that be the basis of my character for no. a gimmick. Right. No. So I feel like you can get real cheap and I can see pretty quickly how a group of 15 year olds learning the game would be, would start making cripple jokes and shit. Right. Like, yeah. And that's not necessary. You, you gotta play so. it in the appropriate environment. Yeah. So I have a few thoughts on this, but before I do, you go ahead, James. Very similar that it's a very slippery slope that you're playing with that because someone could take offense without you realizing. It's the same with playing female yeah. characters. Yeah. I actually have never personally played one for the same reasons Adam suggested. But I don't feel I'd be doing it justice. I almost always have a female, a woman player at my tables that yeah. I'm playing at. And. Why would I do that when it's unnecessary? Yeah. Like, I'm not adding to the character by making them female, by making them disabled, by making them black, brown, white, or whatever. So then it's not a necessary fact of the character. Yeah. I'm going to say this. I've I've got um, a couple people, um, uh, I, uh, we call it on the rainbow. Um, they're uh, queer players at my table. And so I've started including non-binary characters. Every kobold is a they. Yeah. Because they can swap their... They can. Their That's just part of, the, part of the character. Yeah. And so um, I've really been playing with the idea of... I've got a couple of uh, high-powered gay uh, wizards that are some of the best NPCs. My players love them. I would never play a character that yeah. would be like, oh, and I'm a trans character. Like, why the fuck would I bring that? Yeah. Yeah. That just feels disrespectful. 
But as a dungeon master, in that's included. You want to put that into your game. Yeah, I, I'm bringing that because it's like that's the fucking world. 2023. Look yeah. outside. Here we are. It's right? very two different sides between a dungeon master and player. Obviously. Yes, it a is. Dungeon master. It's inclusion for the party, for the world, for the world outside of the game. Mm-hmm. But for a player, it can be taken as a trope or as just straight offensive. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder what year it's going to be when they stop having small characters because of dwarfism. Mm. I think that's I don't a little think that will change because those characters are even in other fantasy they're diminutive of stature. It's tied to a species or a yeah. race, and like after the race is different than our they, race. Yeah, but. after they've walked back, uh, drow and, and orcs yes. though. I I could see that as wizards overreacting. I don't think yeah. it's necessary. No. But I could see Wizards. I don't think so, personally. Yeah. I hope they don't. I, I like most, their... I think they would change it from small to diminutive. Meaning the same thing, but no longer associated with dwarfism and other such conditions that people would be bothered Except by. you literally have dwarves. What are you going to do with dwarves? Exactly. So, like, I don't <laughs> think you eliminate them. Well, and it's also funny you said that because diminutive was actually the step below tiny in previous yeah, versions. Yes. So, yeah. it's like, like flies and gnats. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing characters built on that. Oh, fuck. That was annoying. That's annoying. Anyway. All right, so let's jump into this. I have a player at my table right now who specifically approached me with a request to play a character in a wheelchair because his brother has spina bifida, and it's something that he has lived with his entire life yeah. and something that is he associates heavily with, and he wants to bring that to the table. And so I've worked hard with him to... He's currently playing an able-bodied character, and we're going to work into a way to do it. We want to do it in a way that's not offensive, in a way that's kind, but in a way that allows him to... Experience something that exists in his own personal life and his own experience. But that and drawing feels like, off of it. like it's honoring and it's, it not, is. it's not a given. It is a, not. It's not. And so there are right joke. ways to do yeah. it, right? Even as an able-bodied person, there's a right way to do it, right? Where in this case, he's honoring his brother and something that is in his life. Yeah. But yeah, you, you don't play it off as a joke. It's not a... It's, it is a sensitive topic. Absolutely. So Speaking one. of sensitive topics. Yeah. <laughs> another one from Tarzan of the Desert. What is an important decision in your life that you've made that still affects you today? Wow, we're getting deep. Oh, shit. Adam? Oh, fuck right off. <laughs> oh, thank God. Well, I started a podcast. <laughs> um, uh, an important decision in my life. So one of the most out-of-the-blue ridiculous decisions... You guys didn't know me when I, when I did this. Um, but I was living downtown. I was working in a corporate setting. I, was, I bought myself a brand new sports car. I was wearing a tie to work. Um, I was going out to, uh, I was actually at coffee with Terry and I was talking to him about this. I didn't hang out with people after work. I networked after work. Mm-hmm. I really did do the, the yuppie thing for a number of years, uh, living downtown. And there was like on a Saturday night, you go out to a bar or a club and you go do the, the social scene. But I was one of those, one of those assholes that was like, I could wear a hoodie to work cause I was in the tech sector. And then I'd put on a tie to go out at night and like in my mid twenties. And I was, I was like that. And then all of a sudden one day I, I was, I decided to reach out to a writing forum because I thought that I was God's gift to writing. Um, and, uh, I ended up talking to a girl there and within about five months I was flying across the continent to meet her and her parents to, it was so out of the fucking mm-hmm. common like habits of, of what I would have done. And I just I dropped a lot of money on it, too, almost on a whim. And I told my parents, and they're like, fuck off. No, you didn't. Right? Like, you, you, you didn't buy this. Who is this? What is going on? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's me, Aka. Now wearing, she's sitting in the other room. Yeah, we're engaged, and we're planning a fucking wedding. And, uh, and 
She is the best part of my life. I don't know why I took that leap, but I did. She actually said, I'll come up and see you. And I'm like, don't do that. If we want this to be serious, I need to meet your parents first. Don't fly to another country. You've never been on a plane before. Don't fly to another country. You, I could be a serial killer. You don't know. I live in Coquitlam. There, there could be a pig farm. Right? <laughs> oh so let me go down. Let's do this the appropriate way. And so I made that decision. One of the strangest decisions I've ever made and one of the best ones. And it's worked out in my favor. Clearly. Um, yeah. And so um, she's an idiot. Yeah, for, for, yeah, for, well, for, for putting up yeah. with me, yeah. But uh, she did say yes to getting married <laughs> to you, so that was a given. Yeah, I mean, she did manage to get up to Vancouver out of it. That's the one plus. Maybe that's the reason. Yeah, we'll find out in a couple years. It, <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of big decisions, but I think, like you, Adam, it's got to be relationships are often the big ones in our lives, right? They they tend to form us and shape us into the people that we are. For better or for worse, right? Good yeah. relationships, bad, broken relationships. Um, in my case, it was just deciding to go to a Halloween party one night on a whim. Um, at a friend's place, one that I did not want to go to. I had just I had just lost a good job. I had moved back into my parents' house. I was not feeling good about things. I was like, I just need to get out and get to a party. Mm-hmm. And just on a whim, my wife did the same thing. Her, She had just lost her grandpa, but a friend of hers asked her to come out. And between the two of us, both happened to make that mis- Decision. You almost said mistake. Yeah. We both of us made that mistake. <laughs> That's right. No, but that choice. Definitely not a mistake. There's no doubt about that. Um, best decision I ever made. It's funny how that works. Like, it's... And how my life has drastically changed as a result. I mean, clearly... You're, Everything else. Yeah, yeah mine as well. You're, you're married and have kids and stuff. Everything for me changed because suddenly I wasn't going out in the evenings because I'm in a long-distance relationship. I got to stay home. When you're in a long-distance relationship... You don't get to do anything else but talk on the phone. Yeah. You can't watch TV and talk on the phone. You can maybe cook. But yeah. I, I can't I can't play D&D and talk, and on, talk the on the like, phone. Like, no. There's so much shit I couldn't do. Right? So I had to devote my life to this. And it calmed me right the fuck down. And now I am in a radically different job. I'm running this podcast. I wasn't playing D&D back then. Yeah. But I started thinking about it more and more because I had the downtime. I wasn't hustling anymore, right? So, yeah. For me, a decision that changed my life and still is affecting me, I don't know, about six years ago, seven years ago, me and my best friend had a massive blow-up fight. We were both being pissy bitches. We both knew the other one was being a pissy bitch, and neither of us were willing to admit it. Yep. So we decided to, we were living together at the time, we decided to leave, and I needed to figure out what to do. I was back in Calgary at the time. Was watching a movie, and whatever on the movie pissed me off at how poorly it was done. <laughs> and I decided I could do that better. And I was in the middle of trying to figure out, am I going to move somewhere in Calgary? Am I going to go back to school? What the hell am I doing? And then I found I could go become a VFX artist in Vancouver. My parents were living out here, so I said, I can do it better than the guy did it in the movie. And have since been making cartoons since. And now you're on IMDb. You're famous. Oh, yeah. We're all going to be on IMDb because somebody put the fucking podcast up there, and we're going to find out. It wasn't one of us. That's the wildest part. It's not even one of the one of the Patreon. Like everyone was confused when I I found us on page four. Like I'm I'm scrolling, it's a mimic. Just googling yourself at lunch one day. I'm like, what the fuck? We have an IMDb page, and I I'm baffled. We're going to get to the bottom of this. It's someone in the UK. Oh really? You found that? I think so. Is it based I, on spelling or? Uh, no, it's based on uh, the release date of the episode. It says in brackets UK behind it. So I'm like, oh, is that, is that interesting. The thing? So anyway, um, 
Your question. My question. Tarzan of the Desert. Again, again, I love Tarzan of the Desert because he's not swinging through trees, just kind of like walking. Yeah. Just <laughs> dude, dude in a loincloth walking through the <laughs> desert. Um, what's your pooping schedule look like? Every other day, every day, twice a day, or just straight diarrhea all the time? James, take us away. Twice a day because I'm fucking healthy. Goddamn monsters <laughs> anything otherwise. Yeah. Uh, unless my food is bad, it's twice a day. Once as soon as I wake up, and yeah. then once usually in the afternoon. I'm lactose intolerant. Yeah, that's another story. I, I, I have a particular hatred for the pooping schedule. Yeah. Um, I watch my diet. You wouldn't know looking at me, but I watch my fucking diet pretty yeah. closely. I can have cheese on a pizza, but I can't have a glass of milk. God, that would kill me. I have to choose when I'm going to get a, a Frappuccino. Lactate, or, my man. Lactate. If, if only I could just get rid of the milk through my nipples, then that would... This Not would lactate. Lactate. Oh, lactate. <laughs> um, no, so I uh, I have a personal hatred for going to the bathroom. I should mention to all the parents out there, I also spend a good couple hours in the bathroom every day hiding from my children. Does the, that count? Um... I'm not pooping, but I'm pretending I but, am, so I have an excuse to not be in the same room as my kids. Because the poop has hit the fan. Oh, very much so. Yeah, okay. Take us away from this question, please. Yeah, let's move on. Another one from Tarzan in the Desert. With the rising popularity of D&D and more and more actors, athletes, celebrities coming out as D&D players. I like that that's the phrasing. Yeah, we're coming out as we're D&D, coming out as D&D, players, D&D players. Who is one celebrity you would want to play with and or DM for? James. Oh, that's a hard one. I like it doesn't have to Morgan be somebody who Freeman. does play. Morgan Freeman. Oh, fuck. Yeah. No. I like to play an evil campaign with I, Morgan Freeman. I want him to DM it. Yeah. My God, that would no, be the best. I don't want him to DM it. I want him to play with me, and I want it to be an evil campaign. If I'm going to play in an because evil campaign. Because I can't wait for him and I to be torching a village together. If, I want to, if I'm going to play in an evil campaign, it has to be with Sean Connery. Because, <laughs> because he is going to... Like, that may not... Yeah. Like, he is a straight up piece of shit in real life. Yeah. <laughs> so like, like he's gonna have and he's going to think it's a good campaign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you don't have to tell him it's an evil campaign. I don't know, just smack the bitch. Like, <laughs> like oh god. What's your alignment? <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried. Oh god, I'd kill Fuck. myself. <laughs> I actually tried with my this character Thundar. No, this Thun, yeah, this Thundar character, this pirate. Hobgoblin pirate. I tried to do a Gilbert Gottfried accent for this character. Unfortunately, I just couldn't keep it going. It was painful. That's painful. No, you want you want to know who my yeah. Let's get some real answers. All right. So my real answer would be um, I have two. Jack Black would be a fucking so good, such a good time at the table. Absolutely. Although I'd be exhausted after two hours. Yeah. Um, the other one I think because he's weird and quirky as fuck is Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, that would I think be that would be absolutely so, wild. Did you guys see the Weird Al? Yes. By a fuck, that was so, so good. good. Yeah, so good. All right, uh, whose question is this one, James? I think it's you. Uh, I believe the last question from Tarzan of the Desert: Would It's a Mimic ever consider doing a collaboration with another D and D podcast? And if so, which one, Adam? Yeah, you got to uh, touch on this because it's come up. Uh, it has come up a couple of times. I have not reached out or pulled the trigger on it yet. Um, technically, we collaborate. Uh, Peps is her own yeah. fucking celebrity in her own right. and She so, does her own thing. Um, and she does like nine other things, yeah. right? So we just are lucky enough to have Peps uh, on this show. But um, we collaborated with uh, Brian, the bearded nerd, for yeah. a couple episodes. Um, and he's got a pretty successful D&D podcast. People should go check that out, the bearded nerd. I think it's bearded nerd media. Um, I think it's what it is right now. 
Um, I would love to get involved with other people who are, what's the word I'm looking for? There are a lot of podcasts out there that are top 10 lists. Yeah. There are a lot of podcasts out there that teach you how to build a character. And there are a lot of podcasts out there that give you power gaming tips. Not interested in any of those people. I want people that are going to come with inspiration and be able to talk like individuals and not smash the like button. Right. I don't, I don't fucking need that shit in my life. Right. And it's probably the reason why we're not bigger is because I won't, I won't play those games, but that's why the people who appreciate this podcast appreciate this podcast. All fucking 12 of us. Yeah. <laughs> but we're all here. Yeah. And we're all on it. <laughs> yeah. I don't, the only people that truly listens is my mom. The, 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 the Patreon. I don't Discord. even listen anymore. Yeah. I just on them. The Patreon Discord is Brad's kids. And That's my mom right. Just smashing, smashing the keyboard. Yeah. Um. For me, there's one group of people who I'd love to play with more than anybody else, and that is the McElroy brothers who run the Adventure yeah. Zone. They seriously just take it. They have fun with it. It's comedy first and yeah. play second. Um. You can say the same for the Dungeons and Daddies guys. Also the same, just kind of, let's just get together, have a good time. Yeah. Those are kind of, like, just for a short stint. I wouldn't want to have a permanent thing going, but both of those would be fun to have a crossover with. I personally don't follow any other D&D podcasts and stuff like that, so I really don't have an answer. If, uh, yeah, I feel like I would like to be able to have them come on and do our style of episodes, but are we going to go guest star on one of their shows? Not a chance. Probably not. Like, I'm... A lot of us are introverts on this podcast. Mm-hmm. There's not many people who are like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, as a matter of fact, we've had a couple of invites on the Patreon recently. Um, oh, you should come guest star on our thing. And like, I've put it out to the group. I'm like, hey, who wants to do this? And it's fucking crickets, yeah. right? Like, For me, it's time. I just can't devote to another thing either. Oh, fuck. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, um, who's got the time? I, again, talking to Terry earlier today, and his complaint is... I had free time before COVID, and then we all took a break for a few months, and then suddenly free time evaporated. Yeah. And it happened to everybody. Work has absorbed it. Life has absorbed it. Everyone yeah. has suddenly developed anxiety as well, which isn't helping. Fucking losers. Catch up. I know. <laughs> Most people were behind. Now people are starting to get on the trend. That's trend right. Since it was before, it was cool. My only anxiety, the only anxiety that I get is when I'm not bothering other people with their anxiety. I feel, I feel like I'm just not doing enough. Yeah, you're just life. you're slacking, is what it is. Yeah, Dan quit the podcast. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm just my evil outburst. I have no idea. He's to coming go. back for a few episodes, isn't he? Yeah, he that's spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan has uh, has found a little bit of free time, and he's like, "Hey, you want to go for coffee?" Like, bitch, eat a mic. So, uh, whose turn is it? Dad? It's yours. It's me. Number uh, fourteen, Terror Pickle, which asks, is a great name. That, that is it a is. good name. Uh, I would like to know the backstory of that because at some point he would have just been a normal cucumber and yeah, then a pickle. Like there's there's some trauma. Which one came Unless first, the pickle or the terror? Unless he didn't get sentience till after he became a pickle. Or so or just ma- a normal cucumber, just no pickle. need for a no. name because he can't. Just type, a cucumber, but because then a pickle, something happens, he receives terror, gains enlightenment, and now can type. <laughs> if you could change one thing about either your DMing or your playing style, what would it be and why, Brad? Ooh. DMing style. I would love to be more prepared. I have learned from the school of Dan. <laughs> That's not a school. That is just lo- loose. It's an online class. That is spaghetti on the floor. That was <laughs> a loose leaf at the tree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really. But no, I would. I really wish, for the sake of my players, that I could be more prepared. I, I mean, 
between the podcast, kids and family, and I'm assuming I'm assuming your prep is just reading the tea leaves in the bottom of the cup and going with it from there. <laughs> you know what? Actually, my prep is stealing out of whatever module I decide to take for this arc. Fair enough. Right? I, I would love to sit down and homebrew. How many books do you have? I know you do D&D Beyond. I have, you have almost own? all of them. Yeah? Anything with uh, campaign arcs or, you know, session arcs, I've got it. It's just some of the other, like, like obscure stuff like I don't Like Fizzbands or... Fizzbands I've got. Oh, yeah. I'm curious to know. Like, l- let me know what you don't have, because... I've got basically everything. I was actually just going through, because I was loading you my Acquisitions Incorporated? That's what I have that. Was. That's so yeah. good. Our, the episode so we recorded good. on that is still yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, it's so fucking good. James, what's one thing you would change? Oh, power gaming. I know More I'm or a less. power gamer. Less. <laughs> I know I'm a power gamer. It's just who I am as a person. So I'm like, even when I don't try to build a character to power game, it just ends up that way. Does it just feel wrong to be suboptimal? Is that what it yes. is? Yeah. yeah. It's not that you're trying to be better. It's just why would you not be the best? Well, even logically be. in that world, if you become a sorcerer and gain magic based on some ancestry... Why would you not put all your effort into honing those skills? It's like being a fighter, but never practicing your sword. That makes no sense to me. I'm going to give you because, a wild magic sorcerer. Because where sometimes... you just don't give a shit. Sometimes <laughs> you just need to be a purple dragon knight. Yeah. No, no you don't. No, no you, you never don't. Need to be, no, there's no excuse. The one thing that I would change about uh, me as a player is I would play. Mm. The one thing I would change about me as a DM is I would stop... And breathe the description a little more. Mm-hmm. I find that when I look into the modules and I see whatever the adventure path is, you know you get the block, the blurb you're supposed yep. to read out um, to the players. I need to script that. It's always a description that yep. walk into the place at the very beginning. I need to script that for myself. That's the one thing in prep I don't do. Mm-hmm. I used to draw maps and stuff. Now I do it on the fly with dry erase markers and things. Yeah. So the details are getting lost, and I find my players, not often, but occasionally, they will ask for clarity about what the space looks like and how it feels, and and I find myself missing the humidity of the room, or if the ship feels off-kilter, or like the little, the little things yeah. that, that I I take for granted because it's ambiance. And, and it's it, already in your brain, right? Yeah. You're picturing this setting, but you got to remind the players what's there. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the one thing that I... I look, I fucking super prep. Yeah. But I do feel like I need to spend about 20 more minutes before every session just on the introduction of the settings. Yeah. Scene setting. Uh, I think that's me next. No, uh, no I that was you. That. I've yeah. got the next one. Uh, this one, speaking of crossovers, the Shouting Into the Void podcast, we've got a question from them. Can a 5th edition drow fighter cast fairy fire even though they have no spell slots? That's one of those ones that you get, like, racially, right? Like Yes. The, then fucking yes. So yeah. yes, you just can. That's just in yeah. the rules. Yeah, you don't need a, you don't need... It's like anyone else getting a racial spell. Yeah. Yeah. That's... You could play an elven f- barbarian with no spell casting, but you can still cast your elven spells. It's just it's yeah. Part and that, of... That's why they say you can use it a certain number of times per short rest, yeah. whether it's and, proficiency bonus or whatever. Yeah, it is, and right? the saving throw if there is one is, is whatever based yeah. on a certain stat. Yeah, yeah. It's... This, this is outside of your that's right. Spell spell casting. Casting. So yeah. absolutely one hundred generic racial genetic spells. All right, James. This is the worst name ever. It's Digly Blue Moonya. And she has been asking questions on every single one for, like, years. And every time it comes up, everyone's like, what the fuck is this name? It's a great name. It's just impossible to say. Yeah. Diggly Blue Moonya. Well, Diggly Blue Moonya <laughs> asks... It sounds so stupid when people on say it. On an episode I love it. a long time ago, someone said 
that they they, they eat Dragonheart to buff max hit points for characters. I added that to my game, and also the idea that you can scry on kobolds by using a dragon eyeball like a crystal ball. What would you have? What would you have? Dragon horns, dragon scales, and dragon tongue, and other things do in your game that would be more interesting? Ooh, who are you gonna throw that at? I, Brad. I was gonna say. I know this is from your campaign. Yeah, yeah. That, that was me that mentioned this. Yeah, and Megan's brought it up a couple times yeah. too because this is something that's very important to her. I mean, scales, the obvious one is scale mail or given the shield, size, something. depending on the size of the dragon, right? Nation dragon, you're not getting armor out of it. You're getting a massive ass shield out of it. Yeah. Right? Tower shield. But young dragon, hatchling, something like that. Yeah, you can make armor out of that. Horns, I liked the thought of using those either, one, hauling them out and letting the horn be a call um, that will summon some sort of dragon kin. Yeah. I don't care what, what it is, kobolds, whatever you want to make it, even lizard folk, I would say, go yeah. for it. Um, and then a lot of it I would also use as, like, potions and ingredients, right? Like, your players should be selling this to master potion makers or people who know how to use this stuff to gain some sort of magical effect. Your players shouldn't know this unless they've specifically made it their background. What about tongues? Tongues? I would allow it. Uh, two things I would do with it. One, I would use it for cooking, just straight up, and it'll give them some sort of buff, charisma stat buff. Two, I would allow... Uh, the consumption of it to allow a player to simply speak draconic for a certain amount of time. Just a short period of time. I would just fucking give it to them. Languages are cheap and yep. that, I just give it to them. Eat a dragon tongue. By the time that you have killed a dragon... That's true. Yeah, just right? give them draconic. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Um, because wormlings can speak draconic right off the fucking bat, yep. right? So it's not a learned skill. It's like, they just it's an age. Do it, so. yeah. As far as scales go... A guitar pick for a bard. Perfect, yeah. Right, and it's going to give some sort of charisma or inspiration boost or whatever. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe if you use this, you get um, the double proficiency with uh, performance checks. Sure. Right, yep. so um, I, I like the idea of the horn, and I would do horn and bones the same way. I'd grind it up to make bread and consume it that way. Mm. And I would give you advantage on con saves. Or depending on the kind of dragon that it is, you get resistance against that one elemental type once per long rest. Or something like that. Now I like the idea of a bone broth soup. Yeah, a bun of like dragon, dragon bone broth. Like blue dragon bone, so you drink that. It gives it keeps you warm. Uh, yeah, or it's like... You're able to to spark mm. um, uh, fires. You don't need a tinderbox anymore. Yeah. Shit like so that. So I was thinking white dragon. Like a white dragon. Something cold, yeah. right? Should give you like the ability to stay warm in a cold environment. For me, I'd make... I'd have the caveat of dragons being rare and a one alchemist to be able to do the thing. But mm-hmm. I would make sure like the heart get buffs your constitution stat. The horn will buff your wisdom. The tongue will buff your charisma. But dragons are extremely rare. So there's like one of each type that you can go get. If you manage to get the parts, if you manage to find the right guy, which I'll make sure it's not hard or easy for the party to find. Like that alchemist we mentioned in session one at the beginner town. If they don't remember that piece of information, they will never receive these buffs. But if they happen to, let them all bump their charisma or their max stat above 20. Why not? You fought an elder dragon. You found the one dude who knows this obscure magic. What would you do, let's say... Right, Terry's running a Tyranny of Dragons campaign. Say you're running a dragon campaign. Players manage to ca- gather something from every single chromatic. What would you do with something like that? Mix and match. 
Uh, Power Ranger style. You would be able to cast Hypnotic Pattern once per long rest. Hmm. Or you would have... uh, Maybe it would just be something fucking mundane, like your cloak glimmers. Yeah. Right? Like, it's still magical, but it's... It's just... Yeah, it's a mundane effect. Those are my favorite magical items, to be honest. Yeah. The party's able to summon a chromatic whelp for the duration of the combat once per week or whatever. And by Mm. whelp, you mean minion. You don't mean, like... How they say it in Ohio. Yeah. Well, looks like I'm trying to get by <laughs> yeah, a young Oop. dragon. Oop. That, not that the party knows this, it's the same young dragon. Though it will change from a red to a blue to a white, whatever the case may be, mm. it's the same consciousness. So if the party lives for a couple hundred years, well, now they have an elder dragon to summon upon. The question, too, is what do you do with the crystals of a gem dragon if you get the gems off of their bodies? Mm. That's... Like there's I more mean, jewelry j- is the answer, but then what does the jewelry do? Well, they all have a specific kind of magical bend to they them, do. so yeah. it would be whatever that's Just take it right is. from the yeah. stat. Yeah. And the same thing with like moonstone, or if you eat the fungus off of a deep dragon, yeah. you get the dark vision. Or, or like you just whatever. get high. Super high. <laughs> just super fucking high. Like licking a toad. I think it's you. Uh Alexander Another Skip Davis asks Could contact poisons be applied to blunt weapons? Why not? Now, we did an episode on poison a while back, and if I remember correctly, there are different ways. You can inhale it, mm-hmm. you can eat it, you can be injured, and it, and it yeah. like it's, it's coated on a blade, yeah. and then there's contact as well. Yeah. And so, if it's a contact poison, yeah, yeah, this is power gaming nonsense, but this is also an experienced player going... So would this work in your game? And I'd be like, yeah, fine. Yeah, it would. You're not going to run into a whole lot of poisons. I'm not going to give no. you a whole bunch of ingredients and shit. And it's not permanent. It's not a permanent boon to your weapon. It's going to fade. Contact yeah, it, poisons don't last forever. It, it's going to last 1d10 rounds. Yeah, exposed so, to air, this stuff's going to dissipate. Yeah, so less than a minute. But yeah, you can get this shit done, yeah, right? Absolutely. I would also make it more difficult for that contact to initiate. Because you're fighting someone, usually, especially if you're using a blunt weapon, yeah. full armor. Oh, yeah, if they're armored. So they're head-to-toe yeah. armor. Maybe their hands are exposed, neck and face are exposed. So, like... Unless you're hitting those locations or hitting them hard as fuck to bend that yeah, armor. You know yeah. That's exactly how you do it. should never be able to hit with the, the, that. That's how I do it. It's AC of 14 to do damage. Yeah. If you roll an 18 or higher, you have hit them in a space. That, well, so, you can so your 15 yeah. hits, but it hits their armor. Yeah. Roll damage... Not poison. poison doesn't take yeah. effect. Yeah. So that's how or I do roll it. another yeah. d20 to see if your poison slips past the armor sure. or splashes in their face, whatever yeah, the case yeah. is. And you bet your ass I'm making you make some sort of dexterity save as you're applying this to not affect get yourself. It on your I, I would well, almost... Like, I would ask how you're applying it. If you're saying you're wearing yeah. gloves, you get it. But yeah. if you're not, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roll me a save, dumbass. <laughs> I put it in my mouth and spit it on yeah, my that's right. Yeah. Okay, roll me a save. <laughs> yeah. That's the barbarian. Because that's badass. <laughs> You know what you're doing. I'll give you that one. Thundar hurt. <laughs> uh, so good. All right. Uh, Roll or Dice asks, you said in an episode that you hold funerals for player characters that die. What does that look like? I'm going to just send this right to you, Adam, because this is yours. Yeah, I feel like we've actually discussed this yeah. somewhat recently, but let's go through it again in case people missed it. So the idea is that when a player character dies, it should be a momentous event. Um, I don't like to kill... Some people just have really brutal worlds, and sometimes you can just die from a giant toad, right? But after level three, I don't I don't want that anymore. It needs to be a, a moment. It has to be epic. Even if they go down in a fight, I will then make it feel epic in that moment. There has to be a reason to this. Um, 
there has to be a reason that the resurrection magic is not available or whatever. So when a, a player character is finally gone, what I do is I finish out the session and then I tell the um, player of that character to go away and write a will and testament. And what that means is they get to look at their um, character sheet and all of the gear on it and say, who does this shit go to? And also, if you don't want it to go to anyone, say, I want to be buried with it. And then, like, if they get eaten by something and then the thing gets away, this isn't an option. But they drop to their backpack. We just make that choice. Yeah. So whatever's in the backpack can be, you know, bequeathed. Sure. So, um, and then they show up at the next um, session. And they don't have to get really in-depth with it. But they can if they want. And if they do, the goal is to try to make the other players cry. And it is... Thundar, I always felt that you and I had a special connection because of that time. And then you mentioned something that happened in the past sessions, right? Yeah. And you, you brought me back to life and I've been thinking about that. And so I want you to have my medical kit or whatever it is. Right. right? So, so there has to be a personal connection to it just to make these things matter in the moment. And then when it's all said and done, um, uh, we do funerary rites if we have a body. It's about a 50-50, honestly. Yeah. Um, and uh, when the funerary rites are done, we then either have to burn the body or salt the earth so that they don't come back undead. Yep. That's the big deal, right? So um, I've done that a couple of times. It's been heartbreaking every time. Uh, they didn't salt uh, the ground when Terry's last character died, and he is a ghost that walks around in the campaign now. Nice. Um, Serves him right. Uh, all of the players were corrupted and were raised as undead at the end of the last campaign, so the big bad guys in this campaign. But the ones that just died from the false hydra, um, were either eaten and horribly decomposed and it was brutal, um, or they were, um, they essentially opened, uh, extra-dimensional space inside an extra-dimensional space. And, oh, nice. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so they blooped out Charlie's character. Uh, however, those ghosts, it, my world, the goddess of death is not there. So the ghosts have nowhere to go, and there's nobody, there's nothing to do. So like they just hang out sometimes. Yeah, and Dan's character can actually see Charlie's old character. I remember this story. Yeah, We've so, had this off air. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's been fun doing that because they didn't do the appropriate funerary rites. And Casey, Megan, and Dan should know better, but Mieka, Dave, and Charlie don't know yet. So this will have consequences. Perfect. Serves them right. Yep. Brought it upon themselves. I think that covers that. So, groundbreaking top 33 asks... I've got some questions about that username, but we'll get to it. Yeah. Now that Dragonlance is in 5e, I have asked this... I'll ask one of my old questions again. Can you give your thoughts about Minotaurs of Kron versus the Minotaurs as a monster? I personally would love to love an episode on the topic, but a quick answer here would be nice. Who are you throwing that to? You, because I'm not particularly sure of the difference. Okay, so um, Dragonlance takes place on the world of Kryn. There are a whole bunch of different kinds of creatures that live there, but we're also missing a bunch too. A lot of the standard D&D races are not there. You're not going to find Kanku or anything else. I think that in the book, in the Shadow of the Dragon Queen, it's like, yeah, just bring them in. It's super rare, but I'm like, they don't yeah. really belong here. Minotaurs are one of the races, if I remember correctly, they are evil, but you can, they don't necessarily have to be because it's 5th edition, so yeah, they like, can choose your alignment. You but it's the same thing as the um, Ravnica and Theros. They're medium-sized creatures. They have intelligence. They're not just charging at you in the labyrinth, right? And with a, they're not large size and fucking scary as all hell. 
Um, I like this. In my campaign, I have both. So I've got the monsters and I've got the more civilized, smaller versions of them. And I think about it like this. The smaller ones needed to evolve to learn how to survive somehow. Yeah. They had to get smart and learn to use tools in order to not get slaughtered by the bigger ones. They're the same race that, that you know, evolved down different paths, you know, long, long time ago. Um, and also, I could honestly just say, if I wanted to, um, what's the fucking, the demon lord, the Baphomet. Baphomet. Yeah, so Baphomet just did experiments, because he's an experimenter, right? Like, yeah. He did experiments on the medium-sized one and made fucking monsters. I can sure. do that, too. Right? I like I like Minotaurs. As a matter of I fact, I just got a Hero Forge mini for the NPC Minotaur that is, like, guiding the party around right now. So I'm really, really excited about exploring that. Um, he's a little bullheaded. Uh, they, they, they keep saying he's stubborn, but he's, he's, bull-headed. he's bullheaded. I did that on purpose. So, um, and he doesn't put up with their horse shit specifically. So, uh, other bullshit. Sorry. That sounds yeah, like yeah. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, I really like Minotaurs. I would play a Minotaur Barbarian. Yeah. Like, I like them for flavor as a playable character. I also think that the Minotaur in the Labyrinth is scary and fun, and I love yeah. that charge ability. And, like, it's, I want to, I would like a low level party to get hunted by a Minotaur. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when Theros introduced their take on the Minotaur, uh, it was uh, Ravnica. Was, was it Ravnica? Uh, yeah. Am I, I right? On I that? think they both. Did. Maybe they both did. I know Theros has a. Like we'll look it up later, but yeah. Anyways, that the player concept of a Minotaur is like just candy to me. It's one of those ones that is constantly on my two playlist, but just never the right setting. I I have more misgivings about the Centaur being medium sized. Yeah, the Centaur should be large. I, I don't know why. I just feel like... It's, it's a four-legged me- creature. It's going to take up more than five sp- feet of space. I'm sorry. It's going to take yeah, up but, more than but, square. But for me, it makes a little bit more sense because they're going to be... It's what they can influence, right? Sure. So they're not going to be able they to, can, to, to hit well, the they can kick behind them, but that's about it. Sure. But, like, I don't know. I just... I just if you spend any time around horses, they have more than a five-foot reach. I'll tell you that much. Um. Yeah. Again, like James just said, like, it's... I understand that they're ponies. Yeah. Yeah, but, it's all ponies. That's what I've assumed. <laughs> but because of how how long their body is, I assume, and it got shorter. I assume that all of the the Ravnica centaurs and all and all of the Theros ones are yeah. like four feet tall, mm. just to fit in the five foot square. But where do they nurse from? The boobs. Yes. Which boobs? He's Which asking. teats? All of them. Just milk everywhere. <laughs> now the question is: Do they have floppy baby necks when they're born? Or uh, that is one snacks? of my favorite memes. Is the <laughs> Floppy babies. <laughs> the floppy babies on top of a centaur body. Yeah. It's great. Um, we just did a commercial, uh, I don't know if it's this week or last week, um, for uh, a guy who does all of these free STL um, models yeah. for 3D, 3D printing. printing right? yeah. So, um, And what he did was the centaur centaur, which is the the bodies of the horses attached, yep. but there's no human heads. Yeah. So like it's like upside down <laughs> horse and then and yeah. the horse body. And he actually oh, that's he, good. like it's a meme online, but yeah. he went and he made one of the STL models. Um and how do they wear pants? It was uh, uh M M Z forty two fifty, I think was his the uh, okay. anyway, people, people check listen. check the ad. Yeah. All right, you got our last question, Adam. Um groundbreaking top thirty three asks I know that this podcast is 5e-driven, but do any of you use anything from past editions as well? Uh, James? 
I know Dave plays his stuff in third edition from time to time. Yeah. He'll throw third edition stuff at us. Dan and I both do. Yeah. We use a lot of, we use minions from fourth edition. Yeah. We use a lot of the weird clunkier rules that if there's nothing fort and fifth, we'll lean on it for like auras and shit. I yeah. use all the time. There's always auras going off. I steal stuff from Pathfinder all the time when I need it. Um, Pathfinder was my introduction to tabletop gaming. Oh yeah. So I never played earlier editions. Pathfinder first edition was what I played for the first time with Dan. So occasionally I'll steal stuff from that. And occasionally I'll put stuff from that in fifth edition, not realizing it's not in fifth oh, edition because yeah. it's so ingrained in my brain that it just feels like it belongs. It took me a long time to like not confirm the crit. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's, that was one of the things that I got from 3.5. Absolutely. Um, I will say the other thing that I steal from 3.5 is the absence of a phrase. And that phrase is, they can repeat this save again at mm-hmm. the beginning of their next turn. Yeah. Fuck that noise, no. Yeah. Some of the time, most of the time I let it slide, but every once in a while, if it is an arch devil, you don't get to repeat that save. Fuck you. Yeah. Make it the first time. Blow your inspiration. Use yeah. your bonus die. Like I guess that's something we, to... we all use too, right? We all use a lot of inspiration dice yeah. in our campaigns. Yeah. If... So that's a very different environment than people who don't use that homebrew rule. Yeah, so my players can choose when to succeed on things. Yeah. A lot of them, it's not a perfect system, nope. but they can often choose when. You and... have enough dice that if you save them up, you can just blow enough of them to... It's a goddamn lie. I burnt all my inspiration oh, yeah, sometimes... not to succeed. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it happens. More than one occasion. Yeah. It was hey, like I rolled seven, seven ones. <laughs> Yeah, it was seven or eight dice. I rolled poorly, and I blew everything yeah. I had. And My favorite is when I nuts. try and use them on a persuasion <laughs> roll on something that just straight up will not be persuaded. Oh, I never have to worry about those. Those rolls, I succeed on. <laughs> Hold on. They make you roll when there's zero chance of success? Yeah. That's Dan. Jesus fuck. I'm going to call him when we're done this and scream at him. <laughs> it says right in, I want to say the player's handbook, it might be the DMG. It says right in it that the... You roll to succeed. like the, Yes, I know. You, yeah, you, They can't do that. I'm not going to force you to, to build up the hope on it. That is shitty DMing. Now, I will... What about uh, degrees of failure? Degrees of failure? Sure. But then I tell them, I will tell my player, this is nearly freaking impossible. I don't think you can do it, but let's see how close you can get. Yeah. Roll... Your dice. I'll, Some something bad is going to happen here. Let's see how much of that you can mitigate. Yeah, and, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, and that's different, right? Yeah. But just like, oh, you're trying to persuade the king to let you all go, even though they just caught you gangbanging the queen. Yeah, right. Like this is not going to happen. But maybe the punishment will be lessened based on your charisma check. No, no, you're fucked. The king is pissed. Yeah, there's nothing you can say that will make this better. You will only make it worse. Are you sure you want to roll? No, you're just going to hang your head in shame. Fine. Moving on then. Yeah. But I'll also break the fourth wall on that. Yeah. Because it's not... There, there, sometimes you have to tell your player these, these things, right? This is just not going to work the way you think it is. When Dan was an inquisitive rogue um, and he was level 20, he was... Uh, like, his passive perception was in the 20s. Yeah. Right? Uh, he was rolling almost 30 on some rolls that he had expertise in. And I'm like... Yeah, I like you absolutely do not need to roll this. No. You are just going to do it because you're good at it. And if the players are, can just automatically do it if they're good enough, yeah. then they will automatically not do it if they're bad enough. Yeah, that's so reasonable. So that's that's where like, I land. You on. should just know that no matter you don't know how to do this, don't even bother rolling. It's actually how I got around the I want to seduce the dragon joke. Yeah, at oh, my table, absolutely. Was 
No, you you don't. You, like you this cannot. Is a fucking ancient dragon. And you know better. Yeah. I know you as a player think it's funny, but, but your character, character knows, knows that you're not going to get away with this. Yeah, this is this is a meta bullshit thing you brought to my table. Yeah, and you're breaking the the suspension of disbelief here. I'm going to break it back and yeah. just make sure we establish ground rules. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Nothing interesting. He's okay. Buzzing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, mailbags are fun. I just like doing them. Mailbags. Send us your questions, please. These are we like doing these. Yeah, Send us it, your questions. It's a lot of fun. And uh, there's one question because we did 20. There's one question that didn't make it. Don't worry, it's on the next one. So um, that's it for this mailbag episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also email us at info at itsamimic.com or head over to www.itsamimic.com. And support us by hitting the donate button or buying some merch, or you can join our Patreon. Thanks again for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're gonna get. Diablo when it's all done. There you go. Is it good? Very. I the, If you're not hardcore. Apparently the hardcore players are all complaining about it because there's not enough to do. The last real video game that I sunk my teeth into and like lost myself to was yeah. Diablo 2. Yeah. So like I haven't even really played the third one so like I'm... Third one was good but very different. This is much more like 2. Yeah. I've, I've been watching the trailers. I'm interested. I'm going to probably watch a, a playthrough just yep. so that I don't become weirdly obsessed with leveling. But right. I'm curious to know what the story Honestly, is. Honestly, that's more of it. You can yeah. e- very easily pick the game up, play the story, and feel like you got your money's worth. That's actually how I how I engage with every Mortal Kombat yes. game that comes out. There's because th- the stories are fucking wild and stupid. Did you see the trailers for the new one? <laughs> Jesus, no. Okay, all right. I know what I'm doing after the recording. <laughs>